Good morning, Mission View Church. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I told you all a few weeks ago that I was a high school tennis prodigy. That is a very true story. In fact, I have the greatest win percentage of any student athlete in Ohio tennis history. And uh, it's a record that can only be tied and never be broken. That's what happens with greatness. And uh, my tennis record of 1-0 will never be eclipsed, only could be tied in, in this great state. I achieved that record my sophomore year, and I saw that not every sport, not every sport enjoyed the success of male varsity tennis. I mean, we brought people out by the tens. I mean, there were 10, maybe on a good day, 20, 20 participants, and not every sport appreciated that amount of support. And so I became the president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Green High School for two years, my, jun my junior and senior year. And starting out my junior year, I realized that not every sport enjoyed the support that I enjoyed, looking around that looking around that tennis court and seeing the 10 people there cheering us on. And so I was, I was just burdened to do something for those less fortunate than myself. And so I decided that as president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, this would not stand on my watch. And we, as, a, as an organization that could bring hope to so many, would start that hope by cheering them on in their sporting endeavors. And so this first endeavor that we chose was girls' junior varsity tennis. Now, we came prepared. And by prepared, I mean we cut up newspaper into confetti. We brought Gatorade. We brought megaphones, face paint. And we arrived at the tennis courts to see no one but the tennis players and ourselves. And so we did what any good supporters would do. We took our lawn chairs and we set them up right behind those chain link fences of the tennis courts. And we took out our confetti and we began to throw it in the air and we cheered for the players as they walked out onto the court. And then we got yelled at because the confetti blew onto the court. And so it took them a moment and all of a sudden they, they they swept all the confetti that was on the court off the court, and they just glared at us. Well, then when the opposing team would launch their serve volley, when they would launch the serve volley, we decided we would mix the spirit of football and the sportsmanship of tennis. And as the volley was in the air, before the racket would hit it, we'd yell, fault! And inevitably, they would fault, to which one of the coaches came over and said, calm down a little bit. And so we stopped that, in all fairness. We stopped that. So what we decided to do then was just become the lines judges, because in high school tennis, outside of tournaments, the players are the line judges, and we just thought they needed some impartial help. And so we just decided to be those line judges. And as every shot would come and it was close, we would just let them know that if it was in or out, and if the serve hit the net, we would just call out, let. And it arrived to the point where my mouth was in between one of the links on the chain link fence and I was calling these calls out. And the coach came over to me and said, would you act like you belong at a tennis match? And then I decided to go try to be the ball boy. 
and then we got kicked out. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm thinking we are the only Christian organization in Ohio history to this day that has been asked to leave a junior varsity girls high school tennis match. Now, I wear that as a badge of honor, but, you know, now looking back, there are certainly some things in my conduct I probably would have done a little bit differently. But the coaches, the coaches claim, act like you belong is something that we're all faced with in life. It's something that we're faced with when we have jobs. I mean, the majority, the majority of jobs have morality clauses. Here are a few that I love. This is from, this is from a university. The university may terminate the employee for any serious act of misconduct, including but not limited to an act of dishonesty, theft, or misappropriation of university property, moral turpitude, insubordination, or any act injuring, abusing, or endangering others. Now here's a professional basketball player's morality clause. Yes, a professional basketball player's. The player shall always be fully and neatly attired in public and at all times on and off the basketball court, conduct himself in accordance with the highest standards of morality, honesty, fair play, and sportsmanship, and will not do anything which, which shall be detrimental to the club, the league, or professional sports generally, or which shall subject any of these entities to ridicule or contempt. And then I think my favorite is that for a movie actor. Yes, that's right. Movie actors have morality clauses. And here's what the movie actor's morality clause states. The actor shall conduct himself with due regard to the public conventions and morals. The actor shall not, either while rendering such services to the producer or in his private life, commit an offense involving moral turpitude under federal, state, or local laws or ordinances. The actor shall not do or commit any act or thing that will tend to degrade him in society or bring him into public hatred, public disrepute, contempt, scorn, or ridicule, or that will tend to shock, insult, or offend the community or public morals or decency or prejudice the producer of the motion picture, theatrical, or radio industry in general. So never mind the junk they're about to make on film. That's all fine, but in their private lives, they're held to a higher standard. Now, these are just morality clauses that, that, that are generally in place in every walk of life. And this morning, as we start, as we start Ephesians chapter 4, what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul issuing a plea for us as Christ followers to act like we belong. Here's what Ephesians 4.1 says. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Apostle Paul saying, act like you belong. Christ followers, walk in a manner worthy to that which you have been called. So as Steve shared last week, he shared about the tension that sometimes is, is faced in the church between those who 
who would readily admit and readily state that they are a Christ follower and whose life and whose conduct indicates anything but. With their words, they express their devotion to Jesus, and yet with their life, that devotion's absent from their conduct. And the Apostle Paul here is saying, let your conduct match your words. If you're here and you identify yourself as a Christ follower, let your conduct match your words. Don't go to work expressing that you're a Christ follower and then cheat people every chance you get. Don't go to your friends, express that you're a Christ follower, and then live a life of sexual misconduct. Don't go to your family and express that you're a Christ follower and not respect your parents. Act in a manner worthy of your calling. This is why this is so important. Because when we identify ourselves as Christ followers, we're an extension of Christ. See, at Mission View, let's, let's break that down to even another level. So we, we get it. We get it in Christendom in general. But let's break it down more to our, to our local assembly here, to Mission View Church. Here's why this is so important. Because you are our advertising strategy. You're it. We're not going to send out postcards. We're not going to send an army of students door-to-door hanging those, like, pastel-colored door hangers on people's doors around Easter time. We're not, we're not going to send out postcards or take an ad out in the paper that nobody reads anymore or do web ad, or TV ads, you know, everybody's watching their HD sporting event, and then all of a sudden the local church commercial comes on that's in standard def and looks like it was filmed in 1990, and that is cutting edge for church commercials. But we're just not going to do that. Our advertising strategy is next week. Our advertising strategy is changed lives. Our advertising strategy is the work of God within us so that when we leave these walls, we're not content to not call on Jesus' name or express our love for Christ until we come back next Sunday. When we leave these doors and when we leave these walls later today, we desperately seek out opportunities so that we can let our neighbors and we can let our friends and we can let our coworkers know the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. The fact that we're not the same as we once were. We are changed people. We are different and we are better because of what Christ has done. He's rescued us from death and he's delivered us into life. And we are, we are new creations in Christ. You're our advertising strategy. You're it. This is why it's so important. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Act like you belong. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that for us right here. And all these, there are five things here, and they all build off one another. The foundation to that, the foundation is humility. Humility. Now, humility is putting yourself aside. Putting yourself aside. Elevating others above yourself putting your own interests and desires aside, and elevating those of others. This is the foundational block of these five things, and they build off one another. Humility. And so if we are going to walk in a manner worthy of which we're called, it starts right there. It starts with us being humble. Laying aside our own interests. Not worried about who gets the credit. In a world that tells us we need to constantly be worried about self-promotion, we need to constantly be worried about our own standing, we need to look out for us because nobody else is going to. Scripture says, be humble. Be humble. And here's the thing. Because our culture is anti-humility, because everybody else is constantly seeking for opportunities to elevate themselves, to elevate their greatness, to tell everyone they can, every opportunity they get, what they've accomplished and how great they are, humility stands out that much more. Stands out that much more. Here's the thing about humility. The greater you are at it, the less you talk about it, right? Have you you ever seen anybody tweet, I'm awesome at humility? As soon as they tweet that, you're like, you might want to recalibrate. You might want to double check that. I'm awesome at humility. It's not the way it works. And yet, this is the foundation Because so much of us following Christ is us putting aside our own desires. See, when we made a decision to follow Jesus, all of a sudden, what we decided to do was to elevate Christ in in our lives. And so the, the purpose of our life should no longer be what I want. The purpose of my life should no longer be that I fulfill everything that I desire. The purpose of my life should now be that I desire to elevate Christ every opportunity I get. So when I live, I'm not the most important thing anymore. Christ is. So here's what that means. It means there are times we are called to do things we don't want to do. It means we go in directions we don't want to go in. It means 
we bury the hatchet with people we don't want to forgive, we love the most annoyingly difficult people that we could possibly, possibly ever encounter. I don't know why you're pointing at me, <laughs> but I'll forgive you. And we do so because we've been called to something greater. And we elevate Christ. So this is the foundational point, humility. And I would contest that only after we've become humble can we arrive at gentleness. Can we arrive at gentleness? Now here's the secret about gentleness. Gentleness comes off as its weakness many times. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. It takes strength to be gentle. It takes massive amounts of strength to be a gentle individual, to operate in meekness. See, oftentimes that which we think is the strongest response is often the weakest. And might I contest that we can only be gentle if we're humble. With patience, we're not a patient society. We're not a gentle society. We're not a humble society. With patience. Let me speak to those of you especially who are under 40 today. Because I get it. I'm right there. And the temptation is we don't want to wait for anything. Somewhere along the lines, our parents have, have been so incredibly blessed with everything they've been able to, to accomplish and achieve that somehow we got the notion that as soon as we walked out of college, we were entitled to the same house and, and the same or a bigger TV and a better computer and better technology because they're pitiful with technology anyways and they have an iPhone and it's a travesty because they don't know how to use half of it and it's really annoying when they're asking us how to use their iPhone and we don't even have an iPhone yet. And so I get it. And we want, we want instant gratification, not only, not only in, in what we have, but in our jobs as well. And, and so we're taught in school to think outside of the box and to think of new ways to accomplish the same things. And, and we walk out of school and we think, we're smarter than the idiots who've gone before us. And here's what I've found in all 31 years of my wisdom. When I, when I came out of college, my dad was an idiot. He was just an idiot. He didn't know anything. I knew all these ways to do things better. 
It is amazing how much that man's learned in nine years. Absolutely amazing how much that man has learned in nine years. And I just wonder why did it take him 53 years to figure out how to learn that much in nine years? And then I wonder, maybe it's not that he's learned that much in nine years. Maybe he was smarter all along. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. In our society, which tells us everything should be handed to us, we're smarter, we're better, we're more efficient than the generation that's gone before us. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Know when to challenge them. But more importantly, know what you can learn from them. Know when to challenge them, but more importantly, know what you can learn from them. Learn from their experience. Look at your life and have two to three people in your life who are 15 to 25 years older than you who are willing to invest in you on a monthly to a six-week to two-month basis where you just get together with them periodically and you can learn from them. Take them to lunch, buy their lunch, and just ask them questions and learn and become patient. Because patience leads to wisdom. Patience leads to wisdom. Be humble. Be strong enough to be gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Falling in love is easy. I mean, we see this all the time. We've all seen the relationships that just, that just happen. I mean, it's, it's incredible how quickly it happens. It's like gravity. Falling in love is just a natural occurrence. Staying in love is hard work. Falling in love, incredibly easy. Staying in love, incredibly difficult. Don't believe me? Look at the divorce rate. See, here's the thing about love. It's easy to fall, but it's hard to maintain It's easy to fall, but it's hard to maintain. And love offers you the opportunity to be around someone. The opportunity to be around someone offers familiarity, and then you get to see all the faults. And it's another's faults and it's your faults. And all of a sudden, the faults become highlighted. And that which you once fell in love with to begin with is diminished, and the faults become the focus. Now, this happens in marriages, but it also happens in interpersonal relationships. 
Have you ever been just really close friends with somebody and all of a sudden you're just spending more and more time with people and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't even like them anymore. What's happened? Love isn't easy. So we're called to bear with one another in love. To fight for it. To be willing to put in the hard work. To forgive the faults. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, unity is what sets the church apart. No organization in this world is designed around the concept of unity that really functions well. Okay, there's the United Nations, and that in theory is designed around unity. How's that working out? No organization and function in this world is designed around unity, and that's why it's so important for the church to function as unified And the only way we'll get there is if we're humble, we're gentle, we're patient, we bear with one another in love, and we are eager to maintain that unity. Unity sets the church apart. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Because when we talk about the church, we're not just talking about mission view. And, and that would be difficult enough, right? That would be difficult enough to just, just serve together in full unity. But we're talking about the church as a whole here. The, the Apostle Paul's writing about the church as a whole here. And so all of a sudden, we're talking about churches that don't necessarily see the world the same way that we do. And, and we don't even agree on everything all of a sudden. And, and now we have, to, we have to function together in full unity. And you're thinking, there are some crazy crazy Christians out there. There are just some messed up crazy Christians out there. And you're absolutely right. But there are some crazy moms out there. And there are some crazy dads out there. And there are some crazy brothers out there. And there are some crazy sisters out there. There are some crazy kids out there. There's definitely some crazy uncles. Everybody's got a crazy uncle. And there's some crazy aunts out there. Every family has crazy in it. And if you're like, I can't think of crazy in my family, look in the mirror because you're the crazy. <laughs> I can think of lots of crazy in my family, which makes me think I'm doing pretty well. So... In the same way, you don't get to kick them out of your family because they're crazy. They're still family. We still have to love the crazy. We still have to love the crazy. Doesn't mean we agree with everything. Doesn't mean we don't challenge them on everything, anything. But we still need to be unified with, two, with true Christ followers. 
because that's the church. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So unity is what sets us apart. And here's why we, as the church, are to be unified. Because we're one. We're one body. There's one Holy Spirit. And he's given to each of us at the moment of salvation. We have the Spirit of God alive and working within us. We have one hope. What is the hope? The work of Christ on our behalf. One Lord. We have one faith. One, baptize, one baptism. One expression. One expression of, of Christ, of following Christ. And I want to encourage you, next week's your opportunity. And if you haven't signed up, it's not too late. See us today, right after the service, right in here. I'll hang out right in here. It's not too late for you to join us in that expression. There's, there's one expression, one baptism. One God. We're one. We're unified. We're called to be. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, the Apostle Paul says, act like you belong. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love, be unified. It's one God, one Lord, one baptism, one faith. We're one. Why? Because we're all recipients of grace. It's been given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I have a couple guilty pleasures in life. One of them is watching the Home Shopping Network. Now, I watch QVC and all of them. I don't ever buy anything, but I just love the crazy sales pitches. And, and one of the things that I love about those are, are the, cooking, the cooking presentations that they do. And so, we're going to do a little home shopping here today. All right. So, we're going to make a few, different, uh, a few different projects here. First, we have some cookies. Now, I'm not trying to sell any brands, so don't worry about that. But we dump the mix in here. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful right there. All right. Now, the cookies here, they need an egg. All right. There we go. Now, we'll mix that up. Yep, nice and mixed. All right. Now, there's the, there's the chocolate chip cookies. Now, next here, we have some brownies. 
And if I can open these, we'll continue our demonstration. I'm auditioning right now for, for my spot on Home Shopping Network as well. So we're going to send this video to their uh, recruiting department. Uh, here, we got the brownies. We're going to mix these in the bowl here. Oh, absolutely. Can't you just smell the aroma of that chocolatey goodness? Mm. Hey, call right now for only $19.99. We'll sell you this convection oven. All right. Now, the brownies need two eggs. All right, there's one, and I have raw egg all over my hand, which is fantastic. And then there's, there's two eggs there. Mm. All right, we'll mix this together nice and well. Perfect. All right, and then what goes better with, cake, or with, uh, with cookies and brownies than a nice cake? I mean, this is just going to be some wonderful desserts, absolutely. So we get the cake mix out here. And we're just gonna, we're gonna make ourselves a cake. This could be bad. I'm just gonna warn you all in advance. <laughs> oh, yep, see? There we go. But fear not, ladies and gentlemen, fear not. We're, we're gonna be just fine. All right. Now, we need three eggs. We need three eggs for the cake. See, just think, that could have been eggs and that would have been much worse, all right? So there's one, there's two. Oh, fantastic. And here are three eggs. Now, we need to mix this all together. All right. Now, we have, we have our cake mix, we have our brownie mix, and we have our cookie mix. Now, through the power of the shopping network, we're going to put this all in the oven, and we're going to magically pull out the done product that's ready right now, complete with saran wrap over top. All right. So there are the chocolate chip cookies. I mean, that's how easy this product is. Now here, here are the brownies. Mm, that looks incredible. Yeah. And then last but certainly not least, here's the cake. And it comes out of the oven just this way, iced and in a container. <laughs> All right. There it is. Cookies, thank you. <laughs> Cookies, brownies, and cake. You know what all three needed? Egg. Cookies needed one. Brownies needed two. And the cake needed three. See, as recipients of grace... Some of you needed a little bit of grace. Some of you needed more. And some of you, you needed a whole lot. In, in a gift that God's given us. God's given some the capacity that, that's on a smaller level. But he's still giving you the capacity of the gift. He's given some the capacity to serve on, on a bigger level and some an incredible level. But we've still all received grace and we've still all received a gift. And it's not all equal. And it doesn't have to be. Might I suggest that's why we're unified? 
because we're all recipients. Some have received more and some less. But we've all received some. So what does this mean? It means that we're all in the same boat. So first, we need to live our lives according to our calling. We need to act like we belong. We need to be humble. We need to be gentle. We need to be patient. We need to bear with one another in love. And we need to be unified. We need to understand that we're all one. Because of God's work. So, as a result, let's stop any self-importance that we could possibly have. And with grateful hearts, thank God for his work within us. And let's live intentional, unified lives that God would be honored and glorified. God, thank you for your work in us. Thank you for your grace, for the gifts that you've given us. God, I pray that we would live lives that are unified. I pray that we would live holy lives that bring you honor. That we would love the most unlovable. That we would bear with the most annoying and difficult. That we wouldn't elevate ourselves but in all humility, we would see, God, that we are recipients of grace and gifts from you. And God, it doesn't matter whether we have more or less. We still need it. And Lord, I pray that, that a result of that and the overflow of that would be that we worship you, our one God. God, I pray for those that are here today who have not yet been faithful to you, who've made a decision to follow you, but God, who haven't been faithful in being baptized. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict them. And I pray, God, that they would just stop waiting. God, I pray that you would help us to love one another more. God, thanks for what you've done for us, in us, through us, and even in spite of us. God, be honored and glorified in our lives, we pray. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen.